and sometimes why. Why? You're listening to And Sometimes Why, weekly long-form conversation podcast hosted by singer-songwriter, producer, and pseudo-intellectual Rob Zabo. Hey, folks. Welcome to And Sometimes Why, episode number 26, the half-year mark, our half-year anniversary episode. Well, la-di-da. So what we're going to do after my intro here is play clips from every guest we've had on the show thus far. But before we do that, I just wanted to talk about what this little landmark means to me and to the show. So we started doing this thing on February 1st of this year, and we've been releasing a new episode every Wednesday since then. I gotta say, I had no idea what was involved. I mean, just in terms of the logistics and keeping the trains running on time, you know, you think you know what it's gonna be like, but of course you don't. I mean, I didn't. It's a pretty big undertaking getting one of these shows out the door every week. And on that note, I really need to send a huge shout out and enormous thank you to Todd Donald, who edits the conversation segments of the show. He's a big, big part of how we keep this thing going week after week. Also, what I want to say above and beyond anything else is a huge thank you to all the guests so far. Of course, I've said it many times, but being put on the spot and made to examine your life in the context of a conversation that you know is going to be made public is no small thing. It takes a lot of courage to share your experience and be open and honest. So thank you. And of course, to all of you who've been listening, I mean, I gotta be honest, a big part of why I do this is for selfish reasons. I've learned a huge amount from the conversations, but you folks have been keeping me honest, you listeners, and on course through the evolution of the show, just knowing you're out there and getting kind notes of encouragement or just messages saying that a particular episode really resonated with one of you has been super meaningful for me. So thank you for that. Keep those messages coming and the suggestions too, like I said, keeping me honest and keeping us on track and and doing something that hopefully means something to us and you at the same time. Email and sometimes why pod at gmail.com. That email address is always in the show notes in any app you're listening on. So how many episodes do you think we're going to be able to keep this thing going for? I mean, here I say that on episode number 26. I can honestly say that I have no fucking idea. None. Some weeks I feel like I could do this forever. We could do this forever. As long as Todd doesn't, you know, jump ship, I think we'll be fine. But other weeks I feel like this is not sustainable. It takes way too much effort to keep these things coming week after week. So, um... We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Right now, I've got no plans to stop anytime soon, but uh, you never know. So let's enjoy it while it's still happening. I shouldn't phrase it that way. Let's enjoy it while it's happening and enjoy the uncertainty like every other aspect of our lives right now. Enjoying the podcast? Make sure to subscribe in the app you're using to get new episodes every week. Want to help spread the word? Leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. More reviews and ratings means the algorithm shows and sometimes why to more people. If you listen on Spotify, you can share directly to your Instagram and Facebook stories. It all helps get the word out. But the very best thing you can do is tell a friend. Okay, 
Let's dig into this. Here is episode number 26, the Potiversary episode. Here are clips of conversations I've had with every guest since we started the show. Thanks for giving a shit. 26 episodes in. Scott Cooper. Everything's about her. Like, if it sounds like it's about a girl, it's about her. It is in a way because I wouldn't write without her in my life, right? It's just one of those things where where no matter what I'm writing about, she's usually my inspiration, even if it's not about her specifically. Yeah. I just can't get to a place where I want to write and, and I'm happy unless that stuff's all working. Well, I mean, I'll write, but it just it won't be good stuff. It'll be all, you know, misery too dark to manage. If we had like a, a stretch where, th- where things weren't going well, the, the writing wouldn't be, wouldn't be good. I could be interested in something dark or something depressing or melancholy, but it's still usually filled by being satisfied and grateful and in love with somebody else. Dr. Michelle Zabo. I had a really sweet interaction with a guy. We were doing an activity called the empathy game, even though it's not really a game, it's called that. And, um, This is where we just share, we take turns sharing something we really care about with the other person. And then the other person will go through a process of first just reflecting back what they hear to make sure they're getting it without comment. And then they'll share what we call impact. So like, what was it like for you to sit there and listen to me talk about something that's really meaningful to me? And so... When uh, I was sharing what was meaningful to me, I was sharing about authentic relating. So I was telling him how meaningful it had been to me and why I had brought it to prisons. And and then just to hear him reflect back what it was like for him to hear me talk about my own passion, um, he just seemed so genuinely appreciative and... I can't remember exactly what he said, but as is the case with a lot of these, I remember the feeling I had sitting there with him just felt so, I had this sense of real connection and real open-heartedness and tenderness sitting across from this, this guy who's, you know, been incarcerated. And that was something that I felt a lot throughout the two days was a tenderness. David Ambrad. I didn't know this, but my dad was being threatened to be kidnapped. How it works is they would contact you and say, we need 100000 to not kidnap you. And the thing is, if you paid the 100000 and they went away, that would be all beautiful. It's like, yes, absolutely. My freedom is worth 100000 I guess, if you have it. But the problem is that once you pay the 100000 then they're going to come back for another hundred or maybe 500 But if they kidnap you, then it might start at 800 to a mil. So Colombia, my city was mainly buildings. And you have your doorman and their security. And that didn't stop anyone. People were getting kidnapped left, right, and center. Now it's a fear. And if you have a kid that's 16 and and now they're going out and partying with their friends and you bought them a car and they're traveling everywhere and independent, well, that's a risk. That's a huge liability because now they can get abducted. Uh, Our schools were like little prisons. You couldn't leave the school grounds. Emma Jane Julian. 
So it wasn't just, you know, any old day. It was on the day of my 30th birthday. I just kind of thought it would be funny to do, like, wouldn't that be funny if I played a show at the Cameron House? One of the only things I remember from the actual show, I think it was after the first song. So I kind of had my back to part of the room. So there I I was with my back to a big part of the room and also the door. I finished playing and I turned around and there were so many more people there than when I had started playing that song. I think what I said was, have you ever just turned around and seen everybody you've ever loved staring back at you? And that's really what it felt like. And there's like so many people who I didn't expect to show up. People traveled in from all kinds of places. My dad came in. I thought that it would be really intimidating to be playing for, you know, all my favorite musicians. (laughs) Sean Pynchon. So my thoughts now on music, because they're, they're quite fresh, is as soon as something starts to feel painful, I don't react. I stop reacting. I sit there. And then I search for a song or a sound or an image of a guitar. And I can always find something that I haven't done yet that I need to go and do. Like, I'd love to sit on the stage with Guy Davis at the Folk Festival in Guelph one day. You know, that would be killer. Sitting on a stool next to somebody I respect, singing songs on a sunny afternoon, making a couple hundred bucks. Or it'll just shut me down from feeling like I don't deserve something or that I'm not earning something. It's like I've just manifested something I wanted into my head. Then, Then you have the whole world at your fingertips. And then it's just a matter of what to do next as opposed to what should I do. And music makes me filled with gratitude. Beth Moore. When I was in my early 20s, just started playing music, I was, it's the love of my life. It's like a marriage. At times, I would love to divorce it at this point. But when we started out, it was hot and heavy. And, you know, like, I loved playing. I just loved it. And I wrote a million songs a minute. I didn't care if people liked it or if they didn't like it. I didn't care if I was going to be poor the rest of my life. I I just loved music. It was like a marriage. My biggest fear was that one day I would lose a hand or something like, I don't know, something would happen where I can't play or sing. And that would be devastating. I never prepared for life coming at you and you going numb. I wasn't prepared for just all emotions to go away. You're not prepared for when that passion is subdued. So you have to learn to just be doing it for other reasons, rather than the fact that you love it. Because like all great loves, it plateaus sometimes. Todd Donald. At some point, feeling the burn of hating waking up every day and feeling bleak about the future, I made a joke that has a limited audience about suicidal thoughts, meaning not the act, but the existential crisis of what, is there a point to this? I get that we're all impermanent insects in the grand scheme of things. Like, take a take a look at the lights on the the freeways outside of Toronto at night like we're we're just like little things and at the same time the f- being a nut and bolt for a factory owner is yeah. is like ants looking at you as an ant Amanda Mabro I mean, I used to jokingly say singers, there's always a bit of narcissism, but no, it, it's not. I mean, that's just a like, cynical joke. What I mean is, it, and it's not really true. It's it's not narcissism as much as it is indulgence. Like, I sound so good and it's so wonderful and I'm sharing it. So there's this weird exposure and generosity piece, but there's also, I think the best singers also know about the importance of enjoying the feeling of the sound 
And when you do, it focuses you. It heightens your sensory experience, which in turn sharpens your awareness of the sound and makes it more beautiful. Adam Warner. So I'm teaching a half course up at Seneca College. These young kids, all of a sudden, I'm the old guy teaching them. And like, I certainly don't want to burst any bubbles, but I also want to let them know that whatever it is you think this is, is not what it is. And so just protect your relationship with music. Because I mean, I, I know for myself, I got off in the weeds and didn't love it. When you don't have that, then you don't love anything. And my other thing with them is like, if you don't get anything else from my class, just know that you need to go get a therapist. Everybody needs to talk to somebody at some point. Tim Fairweather. We kind of believe if you do good business and if, you, if you're good to people and you're a human and, you know, you put the human element back into all of it, then just maybe karma can work in your favor. The idea with holacracy is it kind of levels the playing field a little bit and it puts everybody into a position where there isn't a hierarchy, which for us was super important because none of us wanted to be the boss. It wasn't in our... DNA. It's not something we endeavored to do. The analogy I use actually a lot is the mountain climber thing where everybody's attached and tethered oh, to each right. other. It's not so much that the person at the front has to carry the other group of people behind them and drag them by that line. That's not the point of that line. That line is there to keep you together and working in unison. And so the weight is more the collective weight continues to build. And now you're all carrying each other and you're moving each other further up the hill. Everybody plays their role. Everybody holds their own weight. That's the key. But then you've got to carry each other forward. Shadow Girl, a.k.a. Jamie Gabani. It's not just important to me. It is me. I feel like I don't really have a choice. It's who I am. And I couldn't see myself surviving without it. It really gets me through some hard times. And it is just my greatest outlet. And I've met a lot of amazing people through doing this. I've learned so much through doing this. I've gained so much confidence through doing music. And yeah, it's literally my entire being. It's who I am. Steve Strongman. I always say this, and I believe it wholeheartedly, that you don't choose music. Music chooses you. And because of that, I don't feel like there's a choice. If there were, probably would have made it. Lots of people do. They just go, I'm not doing that anymore. Like, I'm not playing stadiums. I'm not Eric Clapton. I'm still practicing the guitar, so I don't feel like I have a choice. I get such enjoyment out of it. That, I suppose, is what's important. It touches you in a way that nothing else really can. Sometimes I'm listening to music, and it, it affects me so profoundly. It, like, brings you to tears, right? Catherine Wallace. I don't really think that far out. I always hated that question in a job interview or when someone just says, you know, where do you want to be in five years or 10 years? I don't know. I don't think that far out. To me, that's daunting. Why would I? There's only now. That sounds cliche as it comes out of my mouth, but I'm interested in the now. People are like, oh, I've, I've got to do this. If I do this, then I can be happy. If I get there, then I'll be happy. Really? Like, <laughs> what about right now? Eddie Orso something happens to your brain and you just get into this dark hole and you look around, you're like, everything's great. I'm in a band. We're playing shows. I got a good career. My friends are great. My family's healthy. 
you know, I live in a country with free healthcare and freedom and everything's great. Why are you so depressed? As soon as the spring came around and the sun came out, my my life changed and all those depression feelings I was having just kind of subsided until November came again and it just came flooding again. And the problem was every year it got worse and worse. Every season got much worse. And I didn't go see help. My help was, let's just get out of here. I could just help myself. I just need to get out of here. And it's not that I don't love Canada. I love Canada a lot. It's a great country to live in. Um, sometimes I wish I was there, but the weather holds me back from being there. I made up my mind at that time. I was going to do something about it. And I started working on how I could pull off this California dream that I always had. As soon as I moved to LA, it all went away. California cured me. Kyle Bassett. I don't know when I figured that out, but when I figured out that you may be nervous to do something or you don't want to, you know, what are people going to think about me? How are they going to react to this? Once you get by that part of just like, I'm just going to do it and just roll the dice. What's the worst that's going to happen? It opens up a whole new world for everyone because then you're not scared to go talk to random people. When I learned how to walk up to people and go, hey, I'm Kyle. What's your name? What are you doing here? It's like a superpower, right? Because the person you're talking to just wants someone to do that, or they wish they would do that. If I can teach my kids some of that skills, I'll be proud of that for sure, because that's one thing that's certainly served me very well in life. Greg Oliver. John talks a lot about the hurt. He calls me his shrink, basically. Like when, when you're doing a memoir with somebody, they're telling you all their intimate details of their life. And so you basically listen and you go back and you listen to the tape and you transcribe and then you go back and ask even harder questions often. It's like, well, you said this, what do you mean? And, and then they've got to go into things. There were a couple of times he was emotionally wrecked afterwards because there are often things he doesn't talk about. And it's especially the Patty Loveless things. I mean, he was, he was in love with her. Uh, and that's a big reason why he stuck around as long as he did, but he never acted on it, all those kind of things. So he was really, uh, some of it was really raw to talk about. Peter Katz, if there's been any learning for me, it's all in that vein. It's like just this realization, like human relationship is the same as art. You know, there's discipline that you can apply to it and be like, okay, I'm going to do this, 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 this. But then there's also this whole other realm to it that requires you to just be present to it, to listen, to not know what to do and to be able to live in that space, to have someone be struggling and to not try to fix it and solve it, but just hold space for them. It's been a giant education because even relationships, even with friends or family members that you think you're killing it, you know, uh, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm being the best brother. I realized that I was ignorant to some of the ways that my brother and I were relating and, and I needed to just ask him, how is this working for you? And, and be really open to be like, oh, you know, I say I want to be the best brother and I think I'm being the best brother, but I'm not actually asking my brother what his experience of the relationship is. And when I started asking those questions, that's when I think I became more of a real human being. Rebecca Black. But what I do see is the potential for change. You know, I don't want this suffering and this coronavirus and these disease vectors. And I, I want to see this solved as quickly as possible and as humanely and as equitably as possible. But while we have a chance, 
And, you know, business leaders are having to look at where do we go from here? Do we go back to business as usual? Governments are looking at where do we give stimulus right now? Where How do we spend the money that we're going to spend? And do we bail out the corporations again and reward shareholders? Or do we, you know, give money to the workers? Or where does the money go? How are we going to rebuild after this? And what kind of systems are we going to put in place? And this is a great opportunity to double down on low carbon solutions and abandon sinking ships. I just think that there's a lot of smart decisions that can be made. And there's some pretty exciting signals that some good decisions from my perspective of what is good, which is a sustainable future that has social equity as a core goal and recognizes that we've literally reached the limit of what we can do with this planet without altering it to a place where it's uninhabitable to humans. So I just think there's a lot of opportunity here and I'm trying to remain positive and use this time to figure out how I might be able to support and participate in that kind of recovery and happy outcome. Lobelia Lawson. And that was kind of weaning myself off of this notion of consumerism that I had grown up with. It's kind of, it was ingrained in my soul that, you know, that people get unhappy or they're feeling unhappy and they go out and they buy things, you know, that they don't need. And I found myself doing that. I, you know, in Montreal, my partner like opened up the cupboard in the bathroom and there was a hundred things of like lotion and all this other stuff in there. And, you know, you open it up and this waft of fake shit smell hits your face, like just from all these different products that I maybe bought and never used or like, you know, because I thought at the time I needed them. And I came to Europe for the first time and I met a woman and her family and she just, she railed on me. She was really hard on me. She just said, you know, you're so very American you know, I'm quite sensitive and she really hurt my feelings a lot, but I came away from that. She she just said, you know, you're not focusing on the right things in life. You, you know, you don't think enough about what it means to be capitalist. You don't think enough about the world and the earth and reusing. And I went back to stay with them a couple other times. They were friends of my partner and they just really had a big influence on me. And so in, I think it was 2007 is when I did that project. I just thought, you know what, I'm going to completely wean myself off of this emotional buying and this this way of life. So I went 30 days and it was fairly easy for me. And then I just thought, you know what, I'm going to go for a year. Glodine Brown. One of my favorite stories, I was at a panel and the director of the Aga Khan Museum was there and she told a story about a firefighter that was there on a public tour. And he approached her after the tour and he said that he had held a grudge against Muslims since 9-11. But after going through the tour of the Aga Khan and listening to her speak about the art, it kind of changed his mind. That's really powerful. Somebody can hold a belief for that long and then having someone speak about art can help change their mind or shift a view that they had that maybe wasn't correct or just they weren't informed enough. So I think art can show us the world in a different way that maybe we didn't consider before. Also, seeing other people's experiences. I mean, a lot of us live in our bubbles, our echo chambers. You like what you like, you see what's around you. But when you venture out into different spaces and you see different things, it opens your mind to different possibilities and how other people are experiencing things in the world. Carrie O. I like that exercise of writing down why I'm doing it, what's hard about it, what's hard about the other path I'm not taking. I also don't think it has to be either or. I think the good lovelies right now, I think we could make a really good decision to do a certain amount of touring and then still 
Caroline can put out a solo project. So she wants to do a podcast too. And I think we can do it and make room. We've made room for kids. We've made room for when I moved to Newfoundland for six years. We make room for the things that each of us want. So my dream was to be a rock star and or a folk musician in Canada and beyond. And I also like to draw and I like to write and there's more. I don't think it has to be that I'm going to be a touring musician or I'm going to be something else. I think I can be a touring musician and I can also be a great aunt. Just checking in that it still is in line with my values. I don't need us to be super famous. I like the people we reached on the weekend. I like the people we reach when we go to Australia and Alaska and Germany and everywhere in Canada and the U.S. And that's enough. That's enough for me. Howard Druckmann. I've been very, very lucky that I get to earn a living by listening to music and by talking to people who make it, because that keeps me invested and excited. The difference, I think, for me anyway, is that when I was younger, I would listen to music and it would be about my life. When I listened to The Who's Quadrophenia, it was so close to the bone of my own fairly dysfunctional family that it was like, oh my God, I couldn't believe it. Or when I first heard Dylan and just went completely nuts, that spoke right to my heart. Now, there's stuff that still speaks to me, but it's still a matter of the heart and it's still emotional, but it's more like huge respect and admiration for what people are doing and how people are passionate and intense and strong about what they're doing. I mean, I'm not experiencing what Snotty Nose Rest Kids are experiencing. I'm not experiencing what Avaya Mighty is experiencing, but the art they're making is just so strong that I care about it and it moves me. It doesn't move me the same way because it's not about my life, but it still moves me. Charlena Russell. There's an artist, Janice Lee, who's a dear friend of mine. A shout out to her and a thank you to her. She did a lot of work in KW to raise awareness that racism needs to be addressed. And there were Black Lives Matter protests happening five years ago that she was part of. And I remember not understanding it fully and not feeling comfortable enough to go because I myself as a mixed person, had more work to do to unlearn what I've been taught and what I've been raised to, you know, think I'm weird and hate myself and I'm ugly and my hair is ugly and all those things. I mean, it's the truth of what we've all grown up in. And I'm so thankful for artists like her who have taken the time to like speak. And if anything, the reason why I was posting so much on Facebook has a lot to do with the fact that she helped give me my voice. All right. How's that for a little walk down memory lane? Yeah, I'm getting all sentimental and it's only been half a year so far. <laughs> all right. Uh, I also wanted to mention for those of you who are paying really close attention, you might have noticed that we started this on February 1st, but we actually published four episodes that day. And we also didn't publish a conversation for episode number 22, which was the podcast blackout in support of Black Lives Matter. So the math doesn't really line up exactly in terms of being exactly half a year, but it's close enough. It's fine. We've got lots of cool things coming down the pipeline in the next few weeks. Lots of great guests, of course. But next week, we're going to do a conversation with me. That's right. We're going to repost a conversation I had with Todd Donald for his podcast because I've been getting messages from you listeners since we started this thing asking for someone to interview me. So this will be that. 
All right. I hope you folks are taking care of yourselves and are enjoying the summertime wherever you are. I sure as hell am. Talk to you next Wednesday. Thanks for giving a shit 26 episodes in. And Sometimes Why is brought to you by Rob Zabo. Conversations are edited by Todd Donald.